Today is October 10th, 2022. It is the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. So on this episode, Joshua Erickson and I are continuing our discussion on the Feast and Holy Days of the Jewish Calendar. This is installment number three of that series. Now again, I strongly recommend that if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to episode number 15. That episode sets the table for the entire series. Then listen to episodes number 27 and 28. The reason for this is, as I've had these conversations with Joshua, I I began to see that the Lord instituted these Feast and Holy Days to build on top of one another. There's a certain heavenly momentum that I feel like the Lord is trying to convey through the Jewish calendar. On this episode, Joshua and I cover what the Feast of Tabernacles is, what it is in memory of, how it was celebrated anciently, how it is celebrated today, and finally the lessons and principles we can take away from the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's next on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. So I just want to take a moment to thank you, the listener. When I started this podcast, I wasn't sure if anyone would really listen. Now, to my surprise, this thing has taken on a life of its own. And that's all due to you, the listener, spending your time here with me, and it means a great deal to me. Now, as a husband and father, I'm keenly aware of how important time is. It feels like there's just never enough of it. So when you are spending your time here listening to this podcast, I feel a responsibility to never waste your time. In that spirit, as this podcast has grown, I feel like I need to do you, the listener, justice. I want to continue to produce good content and upgrade the audio quality. That takes better equipment and better software, and that all takes money. Now, I've tried to advertise, but you'd be surprised. There's not a lot of people wanting to advertise on a Mormon fundamentalist podcast. I know, surprising, right? Now, if you want to help support the podcast, you can do that one of two ways. The first is go over to mormonrenegade.com and hit the Donate tab. There you can make a one-time donation, or you can go ahead and set it up to be a monthly recurring donation. Your choice entirely. Now, option number two, because I'm a capitalist, if you want to head on over to mormonrenegade.com, click on the store button, you're going to find that we've got some new swag out. We got some t-shirts, we have a tote, we have cell phone cases, water bottles, coffee cups, we got a bunch of stuff and more is going to be on the way. So, if you feel like that's something you could do, again, head on over to Mormon Renegade and check all that stuff out. If you're not in that position to do so, I completely understand. We're all squeezed right now with high gas prices and high inflation. So even if you can't, please keep listening and maybe keep the podcast in your prayers so we can continue to grow, produce good content, and better audio quality. Thank you. Listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. All right. Well, welcome back, man. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So, last time we talked about Yom Kippur. And now we're on to Tabernacles. That's right. The Feast of Tabernacles. What is it? The Feast of Tabernacles is uh, probably has the most symbolism. And this is the this is the culmination of the feast cycle, basically. Is it? It is, yeah. And it's the culmination of of this earth as well. This is this is millennial symbolism here. Ooh. So this is good stuff. So let me read uh let me read what Leviticus says. Uh just the end of end of it. This is this is gonna be on the fifteenth, fifteenth day of the seventh month, and it's it lasts for seven days. There's a week-long celebration. And then on the end, there's what's called the eighth day, the eighth day of assembly. And it's kind of the, the – it's it's related to tabernacles, but it is a separate day. And uh, anyway, exciting. I'm getting stuff. the vibe that in the seventh month, there wasn't a lot of work getting done in Israel. Yeah. I Yeah, you you might be right. Now, um, the for, when it comes to the week of tabernacles, the first day – and this this basically mirrors. There's actually an, a nice correlation between the first month and the seventh month. Okay. The first in the first month, the first day of the first month, the scriptures say is the new year. Okay. And then um, in the first day of the seventh month is 
Feast of Trumpets, which traditionally is also understood to be a new year as well, and for good reason. Okay, and then and then we have the tenth of the first month is when the the lamb for Passover is selected. Okay, and then in the tenth of the seventh month we have the Day of Atonement, and then on the <clears throat> um, on the and then the fourteenth is Passover. And then the 15th is a week-long celebration of uh, unleavened bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We'll talk more about all these later. But um, And then in the seventh month, then we have, starting on the 15th, we have this eight-day celebration as well, like kind of in the middle there. So, and uh, for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the first day is a Sabbath and the last day is a Sabbath. And for Tabernacles, the first and the last days are also considered Sabbaths. So is there other names at Tabernacles, the, the Feast of Tabernacles? Yeah, it is, the, uh, it is the Feast of Ingathering. Okay. That's the, and it's also called, you know, Tabernacles in, uh, you know, in Hebrew it would be uh, Sukkot. Okay. Which in, in the English equivalent of that is booths, sometimes called the Feast of Booths. Um, and that's referring to these temporary dwellings, these temporary shelters that they would make, that they were commanded to make. Uh, and to kind of dwell in during this week-long uh, celebration. So you're kind of like leaving behind, if I'm understanding, you're leaving behind kind of like your plush existence, so to speak, right? Yeah, there's all kinds of uh, symbolism that we can draw from this. And one of them is, yeah, that we're going we're gonna to set aside, uh, well... Yeah, we're going to set aside, yeah, exactly, our plush existence, and we're going to feel what it feels like to be pilgrims, to okay. be wanderers, to be strangers in a strange land, um, like our ancestors did. So let me read. Let me read what I was going to read in Leviticus. And ye shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. Ye shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths. In Hebrew, that's Sukkah or Sukkot. You shall dwell in Sukkot seven days. All that are Israelite born shall dwell in Sukkot. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Jehovah your God. And Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord. So <clears throat> right there, we're given one of the reasons, right? Is so that you can remember that I made, this is God speaking, that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths. Now, a lot of times when we think about the 40 years in the wilderness, we think about that as a curse. Right. Um, but that's a little bit misplaced because it's it's kind of like the uh, the tablets. Uh, like the the law was not the curse. The curse was uh, having the higher Melchizedek. You could have had more. Could have had more. Yeah. Which is interesting because that will often be how it is for some of us yeah. at the final judgment. We could have had so much more. That's exactly right. And so the wandering in the wilderness, that also was not the curse. The curse was not the promised land. Right. You see, they were blessed in the wilderness, tremendously blessed. Like if the if – the what happened to them in the wilderness is a curse. Then you know, may I be cursed similarly, because they had the pillar of fire and the shadow guiding them constantly. It was right there. God's presence was with them. It's like what a curse, you know. And you know, and for protection and for direction, and they had manna from heaven. You know, their all their needs were taken care of. The scriptures even say in Deuteronomy it says even their shoes and their clothes did not wear out for forty years. Like, like everything That's was crazy. Everything was provided. So that that was not the curse. That was a blessing. Like God was with them, and this is why this is uh, the symbolism of tabernacles is related to the millennium. You know, when uh, as we said, which is it, tenth uh, article of faith, Christ. You know, the earth will be renewed and receive its parents' right. glory, and the Christ will reign personally upon the earth. Like the Lord is going to be with us again there, and um, so. So that's the uh, that's the symbolism, part of the symbolism. Okay, now uh, what else? What else can we remember? 
So one is the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. Um, as Mormons, we have other wanderings in the wilderness that yeah. we can remember too, right? I mean, the Book of Mormon starts with a family wandering in the wilderness, right? Lehi and his family, they're in the wilderness eight years before they, uh, which is a symbolic number, right? It's eight years and then they get in the water. <laughs> so uh, to enter the promised land. So uh, that's cool. The Jaredites also wandered. And of course, even more recently than that, we have pioneers. Mormon pioneers. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, that is often called <coughs> the, you know, the Mormon exodus. Right? right. And for good reason. You know, and there's all kinds of, uh, I mean, even to the place where we ended up. You know, yeah. By a salty sea, by a salty lake. Connected and, by a river, which we named River Jordan, that connects yep. to a freshwater lake. Yep. So, yeah. So it's uh, that's that's one of the things we can remember what our ancestors did. Um, another thing is we remember our own wandering. So I'm going to go to uh, the Book of Hebrews here. Sorry, no, you're good. Hebrews chapter eleven. Um. Starting with verse eight, this is talking. Now, this is talking about all the uh, <clears throat> all those faithful people. Um, there's a big list of faithful people, and Abraham is one of them. Verse eight starts by faith. Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and with Jacob. And heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Um, so, uh, I'll keep reading. Through faith also Sarah her, uh, herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and the multitude and the sands, which are by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Okay. Um, and it goes on. that They were, they were mine. Well, I'm going to keep reading. Sorry. I'm going to read a couple more. For they uh, that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. So beautiful stuff there, but it says, you know, Abraham and his family, they sojourned um, in tabernacles in a strange country, said they were... Um, uh, they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And yeah. that is that is our position too. That we are we are strangers here. And this is not our uh, at least the earth as it is, this is not our home. Right. When we're trying to like it says, like we're trying to find like Abraham was, a promised land. We're trying to find on a promised city. We're trying to find uh that heavenly city. And that's that's what our sojourn here on the earth is all about, is making our way back to the place where we came from. I want to talk about that a little bit more because um, I think it's so important that we recognize that while our ultimate hope and goal as Mormons here on, on in this earthly state is to make Zion. To build Zion. It all has to start personally first. Right? Yes. Um, one of the reasons I named the podcast what I did, The Mormon Renegade, uh, and, and I think it's been lost a little bit in the sense that I haven't done a real good job of explaining it, is that I think initially people think, well, he's not with the LDS Church and that makes him a renegade. And maybe. But I think more than anything else, if you look at the pattern that God seems to use when you decide you really want to work with God, that you're ready to do that, is he's going to call you out yeah. of wherever it is right. you're comfortable. 
And he, you're going to have to go a little bit renegade in order to find him. Moses didn't sit in Ur and like, how can we change Ur? <laughs> right. It was like, <laughs> no, get up, get out. Flee. Right? And it's still the same charge today. Get out of Babylon and go establish something different. On a much more personal level, we have to be willing to forsake some of those Babylonian trappings, if you will, to begin to sojourn in a wilderness. Yes. Where you basically look up in the heavens and you talk to God and you say, you got my back? Because I hope so, because I'm doing what it is you're asking me to do. Help me out a little bit. Yeah. And I think that's one of the beautiful things here is that it, it's a call back to this idea. The, the Feast of Tabernacles is a, is a call back to this idea of, of going out, of, of making that sojourn, wherever it is he's going to lead you. Yeah. No, there's a, I mean, the, the, whole, the whole exodus is uh, in one enormous parable. Yep. And it is it is beautiful. Like there is there is a even even if uh, even if they had uh, you know been a little more enthusiastic about entering the promised land, there still would have been this period of dwelling in the wilderness in tabernacles between when they were freed from Egypt to when they obtained the promised land. You now they just they ended up you know wandering in the wilderness a little longer, but still that that intermediate place is uh is important that's the you know, that's the whole that's the difference between um you know this justification and sanctification right right justification uh is when our you know our sins are forgiven when we're redeemed so to speak and that happened with the passover they were redeemed um from egypt and sin and the bondage and slavery and all that but they were not sanctified yet which means holy right? justified means not guilty you can be not guilty and still not be holy right so they needed that there's a, a time uh and and sanctification is a process of uh refinement to become holy so that you can receive the promised land right so it's a uh, and the and the bigger the bigger par- the bigger parable like we kind of we kind of read it there in um, Hebrews but it says it's it's interesting that Abraham started out in the promised land and then um, he ends up his his well and this is interesting too I mean it starts with Abraham who is a type and shadow of the father he is the father right. of the faithful right and uh, and then there's the three patriarchs right and we have this idea of this Godhead right and then and then uh, and then Jacob has 12 sons which are become the nation of israel right and then um and then all of his descendants they end up going to egypt like they started out they were in the promised land this is just like us this is our story we were in the promised land with our father right and we all come down to the world which is egypt and then we're enslaved and there's um, all kinds of corruption and um and eventually there's uh, we're redeemed and we start this journey back to the promised land, but the promised land is where we started, right? And we are and we are going back there. And then there's, um, you know, we go through, uh, we're baptized. You know, Paul Paul says in uh, in First Corinthians, uh, let's see, First Corinthians ten. You know, this is just uh, how we are Israel, and we are. When we think about tabernacles, we're remembering what it is like to be an Israelite. But uh, he says, "Moreover, brethren, I would that ye, uh, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all did eat the same spiritual meat, and all did drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ." So it says, right, this, the symbolism of uh, Israel leaving Egypt and going through the sea, that was, their, that was their baptism as a nation. 
right? But we individually, we right. do the same thing. Like when we are baptized, we are leaving Egypt behind. Right. And go, and then we're going out into the wilderness where we have, but it says that they had the cloud that followed them, which is, which is in, in our case is uh, a representation of the spirit. Right? right. Guiding us, the fire and the wind, right? That's, that's a, the Hebrew words um, that are related to spirit that guides us through the wilderness until we get to the promised land. And there's, uh, there's this second water that we have to pass, which was the Jordan that split as well. Right. Right. And it's, uh, and it's Joshua, right. Who is, who is Jesus, you know, takes us into the promised land. Um, and then we're back where we started. Now there's work to do there still too, but, uh, but the whole, Sometimes it's called the Hexateuch. There's the Pentateuch and then the Hexateuch is yeah, right. Joshua in there. And it's it's a parable of from preexistence coming to earth and then our struggle to return to the place that we came from. So we so those are the things that, you know, one of the things that, that we remember. Um, I was going to read one other, uh, you know, just talking about our own, um, our own um, so journey, sojourn, yeah. yeah. Uh, Moroni chapter nine, verse six. And now my beloved son, notwithstanding their hardness, let us labor diligently. For if we should cease to labor, we should be brought under condemnation. For we have a labor to perform whilst in this tabernacle of clay, that we may conquer the enemy of all righteousness and rest our souls in the kingdom of God. So we have these tabernacles of clay that we are dwelling in. Uh, and we are also strangers and sojourners so it's interesting the another thing that uh, the first time that tabernacles are mentioned is with jacob and uh, jacob separates himself from esau right he goes out right he, he says that he makes uh he makes sukkahs or sukkot uh, these tabernacles for his livestock and so when we go and we are now dwelling in sukkahs that is kind of also a reminder of our place as livestock. In other words, we are God's flock, right. sheep, right? And he is the shepherd. And so here we are putting ourselves kind of in that uh, position to to remember that. Um, and um, and it's, uh, it's even more than that. Another thing that we remember is not only that we are in tabernacles, but also that... Um, that the word was made flesh. Right. That Jesus came down, condescended, and tabernacled with us as well. And the scriptures talk about that. Uh, there's a number of uh, verses, and I won't go to those. We all are familiar with that probably. But um, yeah, and uh, God came down and tabernacled with us right, in the form of Jesus. Um, and was a man among us, and that, and this goes, this ties into the millennial significance again. Is that we believe that you know, again, physically there will be, um, you know, God will be here on the earth, um, and Jesus will be king then. So, so let let me let me just make sure that that we've got our heads wrapped around this fully here. So, um. This is in remembrance of Israel's journey through the wilderness. Yeah. It is um, a, a time to remember that, hey, we're all on this journey spiritually. And it's it's a way for us to hearken back to to what it was Israel had to go through and kind of see that through their eyes. Yeah. And also pointing towards a... a, a, a uh, a parable of the journey we're all on coming from a promised land into mortality and then ultimately our quest to get back home. That's right. Okay. Yep. That's one, uh, you know, that's one aspect of it. Um, another, another aspect of it is, well, let me, let me, uh, I said, this is, this is, this has millennial significance. So, um, you know, I read in Leviticus chapter 23, and all the all the feasts have this language too. It says, do this forever, forever right. throughout your generations. And uh, Feast of Tabernacles is obviously no different. All right. What scripture was that, Josh? Uh, Zechariah chapter 14 is where I'm going to be at. And, uh, um, 
know, this is talking about uh, there's the the second coming of the Lord. And um, in verse 4, it talks about his feet standing on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives splitting. We know about that stuff. But um, after all of that, then uh, really interesting, you go to verse 16. And I'll start there. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem. So after this big battle, Armageddon. Right. Um, there will be people left over. And it says, of all the nations, everyone that's left uh, shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This is This is into the millennium here. Everyone needs to come up. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them will be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, uh, that have no that have no rain, there shall be a plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come up not to keep the, tab- the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. So this one actually has a a penalty associated with it, if you will, if you don't keep this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they all do, uh, no doubt. This one is explicit, though, that at least one of the one of the penalties is no rain. Right. And so this is another thing that the Feast of Tabernacles historically and symbolically, like we just read, has been connected with uh, the coming of rain. And so um, this is actually. Um, kind of at the the end of the the end of the dry season okay. in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem actually gets a pretty fair amount of rain, but the problem is that it all comes in one one rainy season. Yeah, and so if the rain doesn't come, you know, it, everything's dry and dying right. by the time the the rains come again. And so one of the themes of Tabernacles is this uh, prayers for rain. And and which is tied to life and yeah. you know their prosperity, their crops, and all of that. So it is it is one of the uh, it is one of the three pilgrimage feasts. <laughs> so uh, uh, three times a year, every all the males are supposed to come up to Jerusalem with their offerings. One is uh, the feast of unleavened bread. Uh, one is the um, feast of weeks, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. And these are basically, these are all harvest, parts parts of the harvest cycle. There's, uh, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread is when the barley harvest is okay. happening. And then Feast of Weeks is when the wheat harvest is. And then Tabernacles is all the fruit, the figs and the grapes and the pomegranates and um, olives and all of those kind of things. So so you bring, so one of the, one of the purposes is to bring your offering to the Lord um, when your harvest comes in. Um, so um, let's see. So there's some other things that uh, that are done. Actually, I want to say one one other thing about the things that we are looking forward to, and that the symbolism is that this is the marriage feast. Okay. This is uh, when the scriptures in the New Testament and the Doctrine and Covenants, and they all talk about. Uh, the wedding feast of the Lamb, or the bridegroom is coming, and all that. Well, yeah, the bridegroom's coming at trumpets, and final judgment is you know wrapping up at Yom Kippur, and then, and then we're going to have us a wedding for uh, <laughs> for whoever is left for you know for the righteous that are left over. There's right. going to be a marriage, and it's going to be uh, and and tabernacles is it. That's the that's the wedding feast. That's the wedding feast. Yeah. So that's the symbolism too. Um, and so, uh, and, you know, and that's of course, obviously tied to the millennium and stuff. And there's interesting things, you know, when they make these sukkahs, uh, these, uh, tabernacles, these booths, uh, they'll make them out of natural materials. Like we have, you know, walls and those can be made out of anything, but it's traditional to have, especially on the roof, to have a bunch of branches you put up there. Uh, leafy leafy branches, and that makes the this shady covering for the uh, for the tabernacle. And also, uh, it's co- it's common thing to decorate them too. And so, one of the things that people will decorate them with is the fruit from the harvest. So okay, you'll just have like 
uh, nets or whatever, uh, you know, that have like uh, apples and yeah, pomegranates and figs and whatever. And this actually is uh, is this kind of imagery is referred to in the scriptures in a number of places, and is actually interesting. I was reading about um, George oops, George Washington. Let's see if I can find that. Oh, there it is. Um, there's this phrase that's repeated in the scriptures in a number of places. It says that every man will dwell under his own vine and his own fig tree, and that there will be peace throughout the land. Um, that's in Micah 4.4 4, and First Kings 4 and in Zechariah 3.10, so it's a repeated thing. And I was reading about this this phrase, under their vine and under their fig tree, um, uh, as actually used by George Washington, like in his correspondence, like 50 times or something like that, this phrase. He loved that idea. Um, but this is under the vine and under the, uh, every man under his own vine and fig tree is, is also tied to this idea of tabernacles when finally all the nations have bowed and, um, and, and the nations can, you know, the people can rest too. And there's this time of peace. It's a millennium when we will be with the Lord. You know, one of the things I would say, especially about the Washington quote there that you just read, Washington was a guy who understood his place in history uniquely, perhaps more than most, um, because he understood that whatever he was doing was the first, right? Um, and so he was very deliberate in what he did. So if that's something he says many times in correspondences and letters, I think it's probably worthwhile that we make note of that and explore that as as individuals because my guess is, and we talked about this during the episode on um, Yom Kippur, he was very intentional when he made his covenant with God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on behalf of the country. Yeah. So there might be something worth exploring there. Yeah. So um, now another another thing that they'll decorate uh, that's traditional to decorate uh, the sukkahs with is pictures of your dead relatives, like okay. your ancestors. You would you'd basically put them in the sukkah and you would basically invite your ancestors to celebrate this time with you. And so obviously to Mormon ears, when we think about the millennium, uh, then you know, that has some real significance too. That, uh, uh, of course, the resurrection is going to be happening around then too, but it's going to be a time where families are reunited and uh, and that's part of the... That's part of the celebration too. I think that's that's super fascinating as well because I think that's the one time, and and I guess it depends on what your definition of of graven image would be, but Jewish folks weren't necessarily super excited about any sort of image, right? And so to make make this exception is, I think, speaks volumes to the point that the Lord is trying to get across. Yeah. In this celebration, yeah. Now that uh, you know that having pictures, that's not that's not a commanded thing. That's a traditional thing, but it is, uh, I think, very fitting, right? And so, um, okay. So, what are some other things you know that we do to celebrate this? Now, I mentioned the the suka being built with you know l- you know leaves on the top. Right, and you know that comes from Leviticus. <clears throat> there was uh, some debate among ancient Jews though about what exactly the the leafy branches were for. Some the the Sadducees said, and you know groups who are associated mm-hmm. with Sadducee ideas, they said that's for building the um, the sukkahs, and there's really good evidence for that. And the Pharisees said, no, that's for uh, that's for waving when we say these prayers and we rejoice with these, well, we hold these branches in our hands. And so they kind of made a compromise, I guess. And you know, Jews today do both. They'll make the sukkahs uh, with leafy tops and they'll also take this bundle of um, particular branches. There's a palm and, uh, and a myrtle and a willow branches and they hold them all together along with uh, an etrog, which is um, a fruit from like it's just a citrus fruit smells amazing, and they'll they'll wave those um, kind of in in their rejoicing and in their prayers, and um, there's definitely you know 
symbolism associated with that, especially with the palm branches, waving those to sure. welcome the, the king, yeah. right? The savior, yeah. That was done in his triumphant entry, right? And in the book of Revelation, it talks about in the future, you know, the saints uh, you know, surrounding the, the throne and worshiping with palm branches in their hands. So there's, you know, even in the New Testament, these things that are... Uh, Jewish traditions and not necessarily commanded, they still uh, amazingly have like show up as something that is meaningful. Sure. So, okay. Let me stop you for a second. And I apologize because I'm kind of slow. So you'll have to walk me through this. I'm trying to understand how this was um, observed anciently. Right. So, we said it at one point that this was a time for the ingathering of the harvest, right? When yep. when everyone would make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Is that correct? Yep. Now, at the same time, it sounds like you're making these booths or whatever. Yeah. So, in making those booths, I could understand how those making the pilgrimage to Israel would do it, right? Because chances are yep. it's an overnight trip at That's least. Right. But what about the people living in Jerusalem? Yeah, they were use, they were they then exiting Jerusalem? No, no, they would stay to there to make these booths. They would or? stay there and they would build this. You know, you, basically, you set up a tent in your backyard. Okay, all right, that's the idea. Okay, and uh, and you go uh, and you know, we like to uh, uh, we like to I mean we like to go camping basically for this uh, this time. There's not a, there's not a temple to bring the produce to and stuff. Um, although this year we are going to go out to uh, Missouri and nice. you know, go visit the the temple law there, so kind of do a little pilgrimage there. Uh, but just you know, live in uh, a tent, and we usually will throw a couple of branches on top of the tent, you know, to right <laughs> to keep the, uh, the both the spirit and the letter of the the law. Uh, but yeah, people who even people who live in Jerusalem, they'll they'll go out in their yard, front yard or backyard or whatever, and build a little little hut. Them to go out, and sometimes they'll sleep out there. Sometimes they'll just they'll eat out there. They'll go have you know, uh, take their meals out there, and uh, and it's just a place for the family to gather and uh, talk. And they and they just have parties. Like actually, it's interesting. Um, like one of the commandments, it connected to tabernacles is to be happy. <laughs> like that is the really yeah that is a commandment. Let's see. Go back to Leviticus twenty three. Um. Let me just scan through here. Oh, yeah. Verse 40. And ye shall take uh, take you on the first day boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of thick trees, and the willows of the brook, and ye shall re- you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. Like, it is a commandment to rejoice. And it was the, it was the most joyous uh, of all the festivals and the most joyous time of the year. Um, one of the, one of the ways that they would celebrate it anciently is, and this is kind of connected with their prayers for rain, is they would, there would be this procession, uh, that would start at the, the Gihon Spring, mm-hmm. and, um, like the Pool of Siloam, and they would, they would draw from the wa- uh, from the well there, from the pool, um, some water, and they would take it to the tabernacle, and along with wine, they would, they would pour it out. Um, and, and this was according to ancient, uh, people who observed this ceremony, the water, it's called the water libation ceremony, um, that they said any person who has not seen this does not know what joy is. Like the, the, the atmosphere was so charged with the, the spirit of this season and the joyful anticipation of all the of all the things that are to come and the joyful remembrance of all the blessings of the past just kind of compressed at this moment of time. And it was uh, amazing, according to those who have witnessed it uh, in the past. Now, this is interesting, though, because uh, this ties in with some New Testament stuff and what Jesus did. Of course, Because, of course, all of these things are pointing to, to Jesus in right. one way or another. He is, you know, these are all shadows of... Uh, of things uh, that he did and shadows of things that are still to come, uh, no doubt. But um, let's see in, uh, in John chapter seven, 
there's a description of one of these piece uh, of tabernacles. Um, uh, piece of tabernacles was coming, and uh, he was there. And let's see, like thirty-seven through thirty-eight. Um, so 37 starts out, says in the last day, that great day of the feast. Or what are we talking about? Talking about the last day of tabernacles. <laughs> yep. <coughs> uh, which means this is when they would do that water pouring ceremony. And hmm. this is when, uh, the whole crowd and everyone who's watching was at this like height of joy and, um, celebration. And then says Jesus stood and cried out. Like with this loud voice. Right. And interrupted this ceremony. And said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. Wow. Um, He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Um, Okay. (laughs) And this was, uh, this was like super shocking because he just interrupts this whole procession and basically says you see all this stuff you're doing like that's because of me and um you know so obviously this doesn't make people very uh happy in verse 43 there's a division among the people because of him and some of them would have taken him but no man laid his hands on him everyone was just shocked then in verse 45 it says the officers of the chief priests and the pharisees they said to you know the the guards, there's you know, there's soldiers there right. who are to keep order. They said, Why have you not brought him? And the officers said, Never <laughs> never did man speak like this man. Like we were just We were riveted. We were dumbfounded by what he was saying and couldn't believe our ears and our eyes. So like what do you like, sorry we didn't get him, but we just we Right. We didn't even think about that. We were just so amazed at what was happening. So Anyway, uh, part of the part of the ancient celebration too was uh, was these lights, and they would there was the the menorah, the light, the lampstand, the seven branched right. menorah that's that was in the holy place, which was um, which was a symbol of the tree of life, uh, being guarded by the angel with the flaming sword. Uh, but uh, and most of the normal people wouldn't go in there. But out in the courtyard uh, of the temple, they had like four giant. Uh, replicas, right. basically, that you like. You have to like climb up on a ladder to light, and they would they would have these big fire uh, lighting ceremonies as part of the feast of tabernacles too. And um, so, and then in uh, and then in John chapter eight, like they're probably Jesus interrupts this again, or or at least it's around this time, and Jesus says, "I'm the light of the world. Yeah, you're doing this all be- again because of me." So the Savior is very much using, well, he used Passover as well. Yeah. Right? And now, you know, he's using these feasts to illustrate the point. Look, look at me. Look, look, not not in a prideful way, but here. Look, look here. In an honest way. In an honest <laughs> it way. It is an honest way. Right? This is a fulfillment of these things. Yeah. So, uh, there's there's so much... Uh, so much there with the wedding feast and the millennium and uh, you know the work uh, of Jesus him being the light him being the water uh, waters of life uh, all good stuff all good things to uh, think about and of course think about our ancestors ancient Israel and our pioneer ancestors and to think about our uh, you know our that that we will be with those ancestors again right when the millennium comes and so that's all tied up in this in this symbolism. So, so the Feast of Tabernacles is a lot of things. So uh, we've mentioned I mentioned it is this in gathering. It's called the Feast of In Gathering. So part of it is this harvest festival. And so I want to say something interesting you know, about the. I know we kind of talked about we've talked about our, the founding fathers and the the pilgrims who came here. Like they all had this sense of we are doing. Israelite stuff like this is a new promised land and we are this continuation of Israel right the pilgrims had a definite sense of that and the very first Thanksgiving was a feast of tabernacles 
And I don't know if you've heard that before. I have. Remember, yeah. Yeah, it definitely it definitely was. Now, we're actually not sure when that first um, piece right. was. Yep. From the historical records, from what I read, like we can narrow it down to somewhere between um, September 21st and November 11th. Yep. Of uh, 1621. Um, and that's funny you should bring that up because I made some notes here that – that tabernacle sounded awfully lot, lot a lot like our Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> I mean, it it, it it's remarkable to to see that. And and as I've mentioned before, that those who came across, especially the pilgrims, had a very definite sense that this was a continuation of uh, the the Israelite story. That yeah. this was was the latter-day part, right down to Winthrop saying, and the God of Israel shall dwell amongst us. It's good stuff. You know, I, uh, your comment uh, you made a while ago, maybe it was in the last podcast, about um, uh, where is America, you know, in the right. scriptures. And I think you're right. A lot of it is, like, we have kind of plugged ourselves into Israel, and we are... Like there, that's where America is in the scriptures. Is every time it's talking about Israel. Now I believe there are some other references too, but I think that's a good kind of interpretive tool. Um, one thing I didn't I didn't mention back on the Feast of Trumpets, uh, but you know we talk about the Feast of Trumpets being this new beginnings. Uh, one that I forgot to mention, but that I that I usually talk about with my family is that the Constitution of the United States. Yep. Was Rosh Hashanah. Is when like so we're this this new the birth of the new nation. It's true we had you know the declaration, but when we when America finally gets into the form that it's basically in now, um, that was that was a Rosh Hashanah thing. When that so anyway, so that's another thing to think. Did about. Did you ever hear the story about Adams and Jefferson about uh, their later wife? I know they died on the same day, right? Well, it goes a little a little deeper than that, and I find this very telling. First off, you got to kind of understand Deuteronomy, and I'm sure I'm I, I I know less about Deuteronomy than you do, Josh. But Deuteronomy really is the Lord telling Israel, "This is how you're going to govern as a nation." Right? That's where they talk about the Lord tells them, "Don't don't be a debtor nation, don't go into debt, all these other things." There's a falling out. Now fast forward to the founding fathers, uh, Jefferson and Adams. There's a falling out, a significant falling out. They were good friends, then there was this falling out, and they didn't talk for years. And then later in life, they come back together. And they start exchanging letters. And as is uh, Adams' uh, kind of personality, he's a little pessimistic. And he writes to, to Jefferson, he says, you know, we really screwed this up. We should have put more Deuteronomy into the yeah. Constitution. And Jefferson writes back, and he says something very profound. He says, don't worry, and, and I'm paraphrasing, at some point they're going to see what we were trying to do, and they will make it right. Meaning they being later. They being us. Yes. You and me, Dave. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> They'll understand what it is we were trying to do. Keep in mind, Jefferson also has a prophecy just a couple months before his death. And you can find this in Skousen's book about Joseph Smith. It's a two-volume series where Jefferson makes uh, basically has a dream or he has a premonition hmm. that somebody from America will come up and restore Christianity's true principles. Wow. Amazing. So you have this – the founders felt it, right, that, that – that we very much are continuing this story. And uh, I, I had one college professor who was very profound who made the assertion that we are really, we, we tend to, especially in academic circles, uh, hang our hats on this idea of we are simply um, continuing the story of Greece and of Rome. While certainly there are those Absolutely. strands, mm -hmm. he made the case, oh, we're a lot more like ancient Israel than what we are those uh, those Hellenistic societies. And and I think when, when you start seeing the founders in that and you start seeing some of the parallels like yeah. tabernacles and Thanksgiving, you start to 
see that happening. Yeah. No, that's there's there is uh there is a cultural struggle between Israelite and Greek ideas. Yep. Yeah. And so yeah, we are we do America is unique because we do there is this tension between the Hellenistic and the Hebrew. Yeah, there is absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, so um Anyway, there's there's uncertainty about the dates, but uh, you know some historians feel like the most likely date was September 29th, 1621, uh, which if you look on the calendar for that year, that was the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. That's crazy. And I don't know if they knew that uh, necessarily, uh, but they certainly uh, based their, uh, maybe they did know that, I don't know, but they certainly based their festival their thanksgiving festival was based on what it says in leviticus and what it says in deuteronomy about having this uh when you come in it says when you uh, they'll read in deuteronomy 26 um the lord brought us forth out of egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders and he brought us into this place and has given us this land, even a land that flows with milk and honey. Honey, and there was certainly um, miracles that right. uh, attended, you know, those first you know pilgrims landing there, right in uh, uh, by Plymouth. So, uh, and going on, and now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which Thou, O Lord, has given me. And thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God, and worship before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord thy God hath given unto thee, and unto thine house, and unto the Levite, and the stranger who is among you. The strangers who are among you, you're supposed to invite them to this feast too. So they invited the, the you know, the Wampanoag uh, tribe, right? Um, and had a big had a big feast. It lasted for days. And so this this was another question I was going to ask you. Um, how did how did Israel respond when there were pilgrims in the land during that that feast? Uh, yeah, they should if they were keeping the commandments, you know, which Israel didn't always. Then yeah, they should have. Every time there's a feast, they're supposed to invite um, the strangers. Um, uh, and because you know, God said. You must, you must remember and be kind to the stranger because you were strangers in Egypt. And so don't forget what it was like to be a foreigner. You know? and, and, and we don't want, you don't want to be like the Egyptians were to you. Uh, so this I, is the golden rule. Do unto others, you have them do unto you, you know? I think that's so, so fascinating. And I, I think it, I think it shows God's love in a lot of ways. Like, look, understand you're blessed in your station, right? But I expect you to bless the lives of those around you, even those who might not necessarily be of you. Right. I, I am expecting something more from you. And we can, we can look at this and, and there's all sorts of ways of looking at it. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, Without getting too political, I'm pro-immigration, legal immigration, right? We got to right. secure that thing, but, but that's, that's, I think that's part of our divine mandate. And I think it's part of the divine mandate clear back to ancient Israel, right? Mm-hmm. You understand where you come from. Yeah. Understand it was, you know, God speaking to the country, to the nations. Understand it was my providence that brought you forth out of obscurity against the the power of the time, whether that was Egypt or Britain, and understand that that yes, I have blessed you, but I expect you to bless the lives of others. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's beautiful. Um, and everyone was, uh, I mean, everyone was expecting the strangers. You don't have to be. Uh, I mean, you can you can become Israelite. You can be grafted in. Sure, but even if you don't, you still uh, everyone keeps the laws. The same. Yep. This is the same. This is over and over. There's one law for Israelites and the stranger who's among you, and and then we can just live in harmony. So, no good stuff. Now, I'm going to read a verse from Doctrine and Covenants 136. 
And this goes, so I'm going to kind of tie this into the Restoration too. There's a lot of ancient things, but we have good reasons as Mormons, as Latter-day Saints, to celebrate these things too. Uh, yeah. One, we're Israel. Two, uh, it's in our more recent heritage too. So Doctrine and Covenants 136, uh, verse 37. This is, of course, uh, Revelation through Brigham Young. Therefore marvel not at these things, for you are not yet pure. Ye cannot yet bear my glory, but ye shall behold it, if you are faithful in keeping all my words that I have given to you from the days of Adam to Abraham, from Abraham to Moses, from Moses to Jesus and his apostles, and from Jesus and his apostles to Joseph Smith, whom I did call upon by my angels, my ministering servants, and by my own voice out of the heavens to bring forth my work. So I think that's powerful scripture. Right, I mean, that's, power, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do is uh, say, look, all these, all the words from Adam to Abraham, from Abraham to Moses, from Moses to Jesus, from Jesus to Joseph, those are all, all God's words still, and he hasn't retracted any of them. So the, uh, you know, keeping with this kind of Thanksgiving harvest festival thing now, um, that first Thanksgiving was actually, it did fall out at, Feast of Tabernacles, um, but uh, you know, I mean, now we do it in November, which is later than that. Uh, but that's still fine. That's still keeping in the spirit of it. And those those first saints who came into uh, the valley, Salt Lake Valley, they had a hard time. Yeah, uh, getting a foothold. Uh, there was there was a drought that year, and then of course there was the whole thing with the crickets and things. But uh, they actually, but they, despite all of that, um, they still succeeded. Which is incredible because I can't even, you know, modern day people. I'm a modern day person and I am a weakling, you know. Dude, I can't I'm even soft. imagine. Go, soft is the right word. I can't, can't even imagine going to like a salty valley and trying to eke out an existence. Like, you better start plowing. <laughs> Dude, I would have been <laughs> the be- biggest whiner on that thing. Like, first off. Brigham would have been like, okay, we're leaving Nauvoo. And I'm like, but we just built it. I know. We just built Okay, fine. I think he could have got me onto the onto the wagon. Wagon, train. right? Yeah. I'd have complained the whole way over the mountains, all the way across Wyoming. And then when he would have got here, I'd have been like, Look, I know you talk with God, but is it possible the line was fuzzy? <laughs> because I know if we just keep going west, there's this place called California. Have we thought this through? Uh, there's no way I could have done that, Josh. I know that's crazy. I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read some uh, a little excerpt from the Lord's Holy Days by Lene Hadley Reed. Okay, she's actually she's actually quoting from um, the autobiography of Parley P. Pratt. He actually records this. Okay. It's probably recorded in other places too. But um, but that's the reference for this. So. Um, when they, when the saints had their first real harvest and it was pretty good, it was, especially considering all the hardships they went through, it says that they, uh, they made a bowery of, out of, uh, branches or a booth. Yeah. And they covered it with willow branches. That's exactly right. And, um, okay. I'm going to, I'm just going to read here first. Oh, let's see. First, they constructed a bowery of poles covered with willow branches. Ancient Israel had been commanded to make similar booths for their final harvest festival. And then she quotes from Leviticus, And ye shall take the boughs of goodly trees and the willow of the brook and construct booths. The fact that this shelter was constructed right over the site erected for the temple would indicate that it had spiritual significance. Then they decorated the bowery with fruits of the harvest, as was done among the Israelites. And then they decorated a pole on which was hung a white flag and it was symbolic in early America of freedom and had been used by the saints earlier, such as at Council Bluffs, Iowa. It is significant. It signified their escape from oppression into freedom. They saw it now as representing their success as Latter-day Israel in obtaining the place God had prepared for them. But it is also reminiscent of the banners uh, the ancient tribes of Israel bore as they came out from Egypt. Both were free and inheritors of a new promised land. Below the white banner was lifted up and hung a bundle of each of the harvested grains, wheat, barley, oats, and a single ear of green corn. This too was biblical and harvest-related. It pertained to the offering of first fruits. 
And then she uh, quotes from Leviticus as well. When you come on, when you come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest, and ye shall wave or lift up the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. So they had entered the land given to them by the Lord. Or were these not the sheaves of the harvest lifted up in gratitude and thanksgiving to Him? So <clears throat> anyway, um, it says they uh, they fired the cannons. Um, People cheered. They they uh, gave a hosanna shout, and this is part of the you know the tabernacle symbolism mm-hmm. of Jesus coming into yep. the temple as well, right? So anyway, um, according to Pratt, it was a great day with the people of these valleys, and long to be remembered by those who had suffered and waited anxiously for the results of a first effort to redeem the interior deserts of America and to make her hitherto unknown solitudes blossom as of the rose. So, anyway, beautiful stuff there uh, with our ancestors of all sorts. And that's what Tabernacles is about. I will say, so So how do we how do we celebrate it? There's a couple of things uh, that we like to do. One is we, uh, we'll make a suka. We usually just make it out of PVC. Okay. PVC pipes. We set up a little, little thing and we put, uh, we put a tarp around the walls and then we put branches on the, on the top. Um, or, uh, or sometimes we'll just use a tent and we'll just go, we'll go camping. Um, even if we don't go camping though, sometimes we've just, we've just set up, uh, set up a suka in our backyard or a tent in our backyard. Some, some years we'll actually even just, we'll take the trampoline and we'll like drape blankets nice. over the trampoline right. all the way around and we'll put some branches on the top and like the whole family will just like sleep out underneath the trampoline nice. in a little fort and it's just a really fun activity. Um, it's also traditional to read Ecclesiastes. Okay. Uh, the book, uh, Ecclesiastes is really beautiful. It's one of the you know, wisdom literature, right? right? And Ecclesiastes is kind of all about uh, um, ephemeral things. Like it talks about how like temporary this life is, and but we need to seek to keep the commandments and have joy in our labors, even though things are temporary. And so it's you know very fitting. A lot of the themes in Ecclesiastes are fit right in with Tabernacles. Another thing that we do is we will have uh, we will have the sacrament every single day we'll have it as like part of our okay and just as a reminder of uh you know jesus definitely like in john six definitely makes this connection between the manna that they ate and um and his flesh with me which is right he he is the bread from heaven right the manna is pointing the man right pointing towards so so we'll have the sacrament um every day during the feast of tabernacles as a reminder of the earthly manna and the heavenly manna, um, and it's just a good uh, a good time. So that's that's pretty much it. What do you take away when you do that? It's like all the it's like all the my answer to the, this question is the same all the time. Um, it's just always good to, to have a time to remember all those things that we talked about. To remember my ancestors. And to remember my own position here as as strangers on the earth, and uh, and to remember the blessings that God's given me. I'm on. I'm in the wilderness. We are. In, we are all in the wilderness right now, so to speak. And hopefully, we're being led by the pillar and the cloud. And eventually, we're looking forward to obtaining that that holy city, that promised land. Uh, and and that's you know we just have to keep that in mind. Put our trust in God. And uh, be thankful for all the blessings along the way and our, on this journey through the wilderness that we're all on. Dude, I think that's awesome. And I think it's good. I love how it, it in some ways, Tabernacles forces us to look outward as well. Remember the pilgrim. You were once a pilgrim. Yeah. And I think that that is just one more quiver we can have. I mean, one more arrow we can have in our quiver to help us sharpen our discipleship. Remember those. Well, look outside yourself a little bit. Yeah. And remember what it was like. So, good stuff. Dude, as always, you're awesome. I love you. I love talking with you. Glad being here. What's our next one? It's going to be Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Yeah. Nice. Which I'll give you a little preview. Okay. Hanukkah is the Feast of Tabernacles. 
Really? Yes, it is. Awesome. We'll talk about that next time. Can't wait. Bye, everybody.